right, so on the line with me today for the newest edition of the podcast is Montreal Canadiens beat reporter Eric Engels. Uh, before we start the interview, Eric, uh, I might as well ask you, how are you doing? Well, I guess you're starting the interview then. I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. Um, so uh, what or like, you know, what or who influenced you to get into sports journalism? Uh, that's a good question. I never really had any grand design or ambition or uh, plan to get into sports journalism. It kind of kind of fell into it. Uh, my whole life, being a very passionate hockey fan, uh, definitely had people all around me saying stuff like, you should really be doing this, or you should be a broadcaster, or you should be a play-by-play guy, or, um, and I, you know, I definitely, definitely loved the sport and, and got to know it well enough to to consider doing it inevitably, but never thought that that it would, it would be a possibility. So um, I got a degree in political science from Concordia University in Montreal uh, and got an opportunity to start writing a blog. And from there, it all just kind of snowballed. Well, that's good. Um, you know, going back to the schooling aspect of it, uh, did you play any sports, whether it was in Con- at Concordia or in high school? Yeah, I definitely wasn't good enough to play college hockey, but I did play high school hockey, and uh, I played some double-letter hockey. In, in, uh, I grew up in the town of Mount Royal in Montreal. It's a small suburban neighborhood, uh, right, kind of smack right in the middle of the city, um, or you know, slightly closer to the north end of the city, but not quite north. Uh, loved hockey growing up, but it was multi-sport athlete, skiing, uh, all-mountain skiing, uh, tennis, baseball. Uh, love sports, always have. So growing up in Montreal, you must have obviously cheered on the Canadians, if I'm not mistaken. You're not mistaken. I definitely grew up a Canadians fan. It's been 13 years since I've been covering them, you know, uh, on the beat. So I haven't really uh, cheered for them since. But, you know, growing up in Montreal, I was 10 years old when they won the Cup in 93. I'm 37 now. And uh, my, probably my first memories of them playing was in 1989 in the Stanley Cup final when Laddie McDonald and the Calgary Flames beat them, you know, the, became the first team in, in, in the history of the game to beat them at the Forum. So uh, that's, that's where my roots are, my, my family, my parents. Um, well, I should say my father was a huge Montreal Canadiens fan and my older brother became one. So it was, uh, it was a birthright. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, so do you have much memories of when they did win the Cup in 93? Yeah, I have, I have pretty distinct memories of them losing the Cup in 89, and I was only six years <laughs> old. Um, and I definitely – I have very vivid memories of them winning the Cup in 93. I was 10, and I was I – was, you know, my whole life was hockey, basically. Uh, in fact, it's funny, that year was the first year that I was supposed to go to the Forum for a game. Um, and I did inevitably go, but the first time around, uh, I have a twin brother and both of us skipped doing our homework. We were so excited to go and uh, the teacher called my mom and she said, you can't go to the game, uh, which was a devastating memory that's, that stands out. Um, inevitably, we did go um, that year, early that season, it would have been in 92 that we went actually. Um, and I want to say that the game was against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, who were new in the new in new in the game? So it was uh, that 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 whole year stands out pretty well in my memory. And uh, from the riots to the Stanley Cup parade to just watching them win all these games in overtime and extended bedtimes for me at ten years old, and it was uh, it was a good time to be a Canadiens fan for sure. 
you're witnessing all these luxuries as a 10 year old that most 10 year olds don't get to, you know, witness. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, for the fans out there that, that changes sometime soon, you know, obviously I don't think we're ever going to go back to the days where the Canadians were winning uh, five Stanley cups every 10 years. Oh, uh, for sure, yeah. They went through a run and in, in 93 included where they won one in every single decade. Uh, obviously the drought now has been extensive all the way back to 1993. And I'm, you know, certainly, I think the league, as a sports reporter, as a hockey reporter, the league is just a, a better league when Montreal and Toronto are both in the playoffs. And uh, unfortunately, that just hasn't been the case enough over the last number of years. So we'll see if that changes. I think what Mark Bergevin is building is a team on the upswing. Um, you know, there's only one place to go for them, but up, obviously, given the way the last few years have gone, or at least four of the last five. And I don't think it'll be long before they start to be considered a contender if some of these prospects turn out the way people hope they will. Um, I think there's some a lot of good players in the system, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so just speaking on terms of, you know, your job, uh, how did you get the job at Sportsnet? Uh, how I got the job at Sportsnet was basically just uh, – I sent, I sent a number of emails to some executives at Sportsnet over the years. I was working with, for, for a bunch of different people, whether it was SiriusXM or – I was working at TSN 690 for a while. I was writing a blog on CTV Montreal. I was writing a blog for Hockey Buzz. Um, I was kind of immersed and and spread in a lot of different places. And all the while, I was working a, a nine-to-five job uh, as a sales and marketing manager for a company. So I was working from about, you know, 7.38 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon. And then I'd come home and grab dinner and then go to the game and report on the game for Sirius and write my blog. and. So it was uh, it was a really kind of heavy workload, and inevitably, um, I got an email from Scott Moore, who was running Sportsnet at the time, and said, "Look, I've passed your your. I know you know you haven't heard from anybody for a few months, uh, but we've been kind of taking keeping an eye on the, on the work you've done. We like it a lot, and I'm going to pass your information along to so and so, and and so and so ended up uh, calling me." Uh, shortly after that and saying we we have a job for you and that was uh that was a big day it was the you know it was the day for me that's five years ago now uh that that i was able to kind of uh say goodbye to the 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 um the the, the day job and turn the side job into the actual job and not that i couldn't have done it before but i you know i had a kind of become accustomed to a certain lifestyle and wanted to to live a certain way and, and uh, wanted to be able to do this and really be able to justify it. And that's what happened. And since starting there, you know, I went from, I was started as a staff writer and they put me on the, the broadcast pretty quickly when we had the regional coverage of the Canadians. And uh, now I'm a senior columnist and insider on, on the Canadians and the NHL. So it's, it's been a, a dream come true and it's been a lot of fun. What does it mean for you to have that title being a senior columnist? Uh, titles are titles. Like, uh, you know, it's nice to get the recognition. I've been with the company for five years. I've broken a lot of news, you know, uh, you know, regarding the Canadians and kind of worked my way up the ranks. And, you know, I think it's reflective of, of the work that I've done. And, you know, I, I, I hope that when people read my work or, or interact with it, be it on social media or whatever it is that they, you know, they, they value it and they see, you know, where I am in, in, uh, in a very competitive landscape of marketplace. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I think that with the social media that we have today, 
um, reporters can definitely um, add on to, you know, what the fans see as well, if, uh, if you agree with me or not. But that's just my take on it. Yeah, well, the, the best thing about social media, whether it's with reporters or the athletes themselves, is the access that the fans have to these people that otherwise they wouldn't ever interact with. But I think this, what we're doing right now is a perfect example of that. You know, I don't know you, Michael. You, you had the courage to reach out to me, and here we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we always dream as a kid of being, uh, you know, being a player in the NHL. But, uh, you know, there comes the day that the reality sets in where we can't achieve that goal. Uh, did you always envision yourself being a reporter or did you envision yourself being in a different role? Yeah, I never really envisioned much of anything for myself growing up. To be honest with you, all I really cared about was playing, uh, whether it was hockey or tennis or skiing or whatever it was. I wasn't much of a student. Um, I did I did okay. I, I you know I, I, I made all the way I made it all the way through university and graduated. Um, but up until the point that I got to university, I didn't really apply myself the way I should have. Um, and that's really because I just wanted to have fun. And it's not uh, I don't regret that. I, if I could go back and change it, I would have applied myself that much harder. But maybe I'd be doing maybe I'd have a completely different life if I did. Um, I just needed to mature over my own. Uh, speed and, and time and found my way found my way to this uh, I, I would have loved to have been a professional hockey player uh, I would have loved to have been a professional athlete of any kind that I don't I don't think that was ever going to be in the cards for me even if I was pretty good at certain sports and you know going through my CJEP university days I I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do or what I was going to do or how I was going to do it um, I wasn't much of a planner but university was a great experience. Well, what happened in university is I built up a work ethic because I had never really worked hard to achieve results in school. And, I, and university was kind of a wake-up call. Like, if you don't work hard, you're not going to achieve those results. And, um, you know, I was really proud to graduate and really proud uh, of that accomplishment. And, and, you know, over time, what I learned in, in getting into the role that I'm currently in is that you – you have to you have to create opportunity for yourself you have to look for opportunity you have to be able to recognize opportunity that's that's a really big one the, the recognition thing and the other thing is is that invariably if you i think you know most how old are you michael i'm 17 you're 17 so most people that are 17 to 21 years old they're you know they're kind of told their whole lives you know you could be whatever you want as long as you work really hard and and you know, you have a passion for it and this and that. And I think those things are essential, but I would say that they're kind of prerequisite things. They're, if you don't work really hard and if you're not really passionate, then you're probably not going to achieve anything. Um, but I think what's really important when you're trying to think about what you want to do or how you're going to do it, I think one of the best questions you can ask yourself is, what are you good at? What am I good at? That's because if you start off as good at something, you can become great at it quickly. Whereas if you start off at, if I wanted to be an actuary mathematician, um, I would have a lot of trouble doing that. It would take me 25 years to become great at doing that because I'm not good at math. I'm bad at it. Yeah, same. So you, you, it's, it's a, this <laughs> process of you have to be very honest with yourself about what you're good at and try to think about, okay, I'm good at doing this. I'm good at doing that. What are the different types of jobs that are out there that are available for people that are good at those things? And I think if you start off at good, you could become great quickly. And that's, that to me is kind of 
that's 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 been my evolution my experience and i don't know if it applies to everybody and how they choose to do what they do but i think if i could give any piece of advice to anybody your age or anybody a few years older than you it would be ask yourself a very important question which is what am i good at because it, it it's one thing to really love something it's another thing to be passionate about something or or work really hard um but chances are if you're really good at something you'll probably like it yeah uh, i think that hard work and determination really um you know really is a theme for uh our life you know if you don't put hard work and determination into certain things you won't really get the success that you're looking for yes and that's fair but i think that's the bare minimum that's that's my belief on hard work and determination and stuff like that it's that is the the minimum, you know, whether it's you're doing what I do or you're or you're doing what my wife does or you're she you know she works at a company where she sells software and she handles premium clients. If if you don't work hard and you're not determined, you're you know to put it bluntly, you're going to be a loser. You're not mm-hmm. going to be a winner. So th- that stuff is the minimum, and then the other stuff is try to pursue things that that you have an aptitude for because then you can then you can rise up quickly um and i'm not would never discourage anyone from doing anything that they want to do um but like i said if they start off at bad it can be a very you have to be realistic about how likely of a process it could be to become great so if i started off trying to be a, a, a mathematician it would probably take me 25 years before i was great at it because i'm not good at it at all yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to you on that point. Uh, moving on to the next question, um, you know, how busy, because you mentioned that, you know, you work from a nine to five job, then you uh, reported for Sirius XM after that. How busy is your life during the NHL season? Um, during the NHL season, I basically work, I work nonstop. <laughs> my, my job is like, I'll get up. Uh, at about eight in the morning, I'll go to the practice facility at about nine, nine thirty. Practice will start anywhere between, or maybe I'll I'll show up at the practice facility at ten o'clock. Practices are anywhere between ten thirty to eleven o'clock or eleven thirty on some days. Um, I'll be there till about two o'clock in the afternoon. I'll come home and I'll write about that. Then I'll uh, grab a snack or a nap or whatever it is and head off to the Bell Center for a game and work till about midnight. And uh, it never really ends. Like, you know, like when I'm not on the clock or, or in the hours, I'm touching base with sources, players, agents, general managers, assistant general managers, coaches. Uh, I'm building up contacts. I'm doing radio interviews. I'm doing television interviews. I'm doing, you know, when, I, when, when it's hockey season from September till roughly, you know, depending on where the Canadians end up or, you know, where – how things go, or whether I have another playoff assignment outside of Montreal, I'm basically working till till you know from September till May, six days a week I would say, and and when I'm not working, I'm thinking about work, um, and then you know July rolls around and we go through free agency, and then basically from from the second week of July to the first week of September, um, I don't. I don't do much. I don't get bothered very much. I, I barely get emailed. Um, so it's a great, it's a great life, but it's hard work for sure. How do you find the balance? Um, 
there's going to be, there, it, it is a struggle. And, and the biggest struggle is really taking care of yourself while you're in that type of schedule. The hours are really quite hectic and they're all over the place and you're, you're up late at night and you're traveling to different places and you're, it's hard to, to anchor yourself and find the balance that, that you want to achieve. But, you know, everybody has their own methods. Uh, for me, it's been difficult over the years because I've had a hard time with structure. Uh, I've never been one for, for that kind of traditional structure that you would have out of a nine to five type job and, you know, wake up in the morning, work out, get showered, go to work, come home at the exact same time, kind of every day. It's it, it, my schedule is so all over the place that it's become difficult. So over the years now, I'm 37 years old. Um, it's been a process to kind of find the best balance, uh, you know, work, play and, and like, but like, I, I don't want people to think that all I do is work. And, and when the summer comes around, all I do is play, you know, there, there is balance there. I really enjoy myself during the season. You know, Friday nights are kind of reserves where the Canadians almost never play. Um, are reserved for nights out with my wife and my family and, and um, Saturday nights are all taken, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, I, I have no complaints whatsoever. I, I, I live a, a really fun life. I don't want for much. And I, I just try to really, my whole philosophy on life is live day to day and enjoy it. Um, get as much joy out of it as I possibly can. And it doesn't mean that some days aren't harder than others, but at the end of it, I, I feel... I feel pretty good about the life I'm living and I enjoy it and I try to improve it nonstop. I try to find more balance. I try, you know, since quarantine hit, I've been been doing all the stuff that I've been neglecting for, for a number of years, been working out every day, been eating really right. Uh, you know, it's, it's little things, but stuff that the longer you go in your life, you want to try and do things better and better. And that's basically what I've tried to do all along. Yeah, that is, uh, that's good that you're finding, you know, at least a healthy balance during quarantine. Um, I think that, you know, with your job, it, it does seem that it's, you know, in your life and speaking on your terms, it does seem that it's very hard to find the balance, the perfect balance that is. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's complicated and it's like everything else. Everything comes with experience, right? The longer you do something, the, the more you find a way to optimize it and, and do it better. Um, you know, just like in my work where I'm trying to improve every day and, and every year uh, and set different goals, it's the same thing with your personal life. And it's easy to neglect a lot of stuff. It's easy to ignore it because you're distracted or you're running around or doing this or that. Um, but then, you, you know, you have to have some true and hard conversations with yourself and say, okay, like, you know, this is stuff that I haven't been doing that I should be doing for myself and life will be better if I do. And then, it's, I mean, whether it's what doing what I do for a living or what anybody else does, I think they, they wrestle with the same issues and questions and try to find the way. And I, I think, you know, it's good not to beat yourself up. Don't, uh, I, I, I've learned over the years that, you know, you can be critical of yourself and you can be real with yourself, but there's no point in beating yourself up about stuff that's happened in the past that you can't change. Uh, it's really about moving forward every day and, and finding a better way to move forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on to the next question, uh, how have you adjusted your work style due to the coronavirus? Um, it's definitely been more of the kind of nine to five structure, actually, just because we're not going to live events to cover things off. Um, you know, I'm sure people, some people uh, that follow my work noticed that when we first got into this, I, I secured a lot of 
one-on-one interviews with players from the Canadians and, and some different people. I did a story on the ECHL when they first uh, got their season canceled and we found out that they weren't going to be paid for the remainder of the season. And, um, you know, it, it, this was a time where it was most important to really tap into the connections and, and uh, relationships that I've built and hopefully bear some fruit from that. And that's basically what I've done. I've managed to secure a lot of interviews, tell a lot of different stories. And, you know, since the last um, four weeks or so, uh, we've been doing two conference calls a week organized by the Canadians, which is good. Um, So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think people still want to hear about sports. They want to read about sports. They want to read about their favorite teams. And we're trying to do the best job covering them despite some major obstacles uh, at these times. So my days have been uh, very well structured. It's worked out well for me in terms of my goal to work out every day and, and eat healthy and, and stuff like that. And when we get back to uh, up and running or whatever the new normal is or whatever we think it'll be, I'll um, hopefully approach it as an evolved person and, and more prepared for it than I ever have been before. Yeah, it's good that, uh, you know, at least you're busy during the day now, right? Because some people aren't as busy as other people might be. So, yeah, that, that's good. Um, you know, moving on, it's been reported that Alexander Romanov is coming to the Habs lineup next season. How big of a boost would that be to the left side for the defense? Well, we're going to find out. That's the exciting part about it. I can't say for sure. You know, you, you never want to make any prediction about a player that's never played in North America before and is and not at this level and not over an 82 game season. Um, but I've watched Alex Romanov play a good amount, but certainly not as much as I would like with him being over in Russia. And uh, I believe that the potential is exactly what the Canadians believe it to be that inevitably down the line, he could be a, a really good top four defenseman, a potential top two defenseman um, that it'll probably take three to four years to develop into that. Uh, it might take, less time than that considering he's already spent two years playing pro hockey uh, but we'll see how he adjusts I'm as excited to see what he can bring as anybody else uh, nobody's expecting high octane offense that's not his game we're talking about a really good decision maker a good puck mover a good uh, skater uh, a physical player and a guy who just really plays a simple smart brand of hockey and I think you know that's the kind of player you want whether he's playing on your third pairing, your second pairing, or your first pairing as an anchor to somebody who might be a bit more offensive or whatever it is. And I think, you know, there's been comparisons made to a guy like Alexi Amelin. Um, I think the physical element is there for, for Romanov. Uh, I don't know that he'll be looking for it quite as much as, as Emelin did. But I think on the, on the plus side is his decision-making and his puck-moving ability and his positioning is going to be better than that. So... There's high hopes for this kid. They're going to break him in the right way, I believe. And just like anybody else, I can't wait to see what he can do. Yeah, there's been uh, rumors. So speaking on draft picks, uh, there's been rumors saying that, like, Detroit would move up and get around, like, a 57.5 chance to get the first overall pick. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't – I really I, – I can't really conceptualize in my own mind how – the draft rules or when the draft will happen or it's to me, there are so many variables involved there. I don't know what kind of pushback we'll see from the general managers to the league in terms of what's been proposed. Um, so it's, it's, I don't, I'm not a big fan of speculating on things that I haven't got um, a really strong grip on or, or that I've spoken to a number of people that have put it into perspective for me. 
I, I think, you know, if things go exactly as they've been proposed, then, you know, that's great news for Detroit and it's great news for Ottawa and it's pretty bad news for everybody outside of the top five. And I don't really understand the reasoning to go in that direction. I, I do understand the reasoning to potentially have a draft sooner than later. Um, the relevance of the sport is at stake. Uh, you know, there's, there's a major interest level from the fans, especially when you look at the engagement that the NFL draft produced. But as far as the lottery rules are concerned, that is something I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. And I, I, I really do wonder if it'll get pushed back on to the point that we might see some changes to how that all goes down. So I think we're not going to have to wait very long to find out. I think by the end of this week, we might know when a draft can be set for and, and how it will go down. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, it is a wait-and-see game. Uh, it's time to basically become creative in whatever way the NHL decides. Yeah, it is. You know, in, in my opinion, I think they should become really creative about how they roll out next season. Uh, I don't know about the value in saving this season. I do understand the reason for doing it. I do understand uh, that they want to they want to save as much hockey-related revenue as possible, that the playoffs would certainly generate a good amount of it. Um, I understand that they want to award a Stanley Cup and not have that taken away from them. Uh, I understand all those things, but I also understand that their main objective is to have a 2020-2021 season go off without a hitch uh, and as smoothly and as normally as possible. And I just think that they'd be doing themselves a favor by, by really putting most, if not all, their focus on that um, to ensure that, that exactly that goes down as planned. Because, I don't know, it's, it's logistically very difficult for me to wrap my head around how it's going to work if they're going to resume the, the 2020 season. And um, I, think it's, I think it's you have so many people that need to agree in that process. It's, it's a real challenge. I don't, I don't believe that they will let it go without doing everything possible to redeem it. Um, but I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to. So it's, I have a different feeling about it almost every day. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, especially with, you know, the NFL and college football starting in the fall, it's hard for the NHL to compete with that much revenue that they're with the, with the revenue that they are losing compared to those two other leagues. Yeah, that's fair. But also the other thing is like you could talk about college football or NFL or, or hockey or baseball or tennis or basketball or whatever it is. You know, none of these things are, are happening until the actual officials and, and, you know, politicians and medical officials allow for it to happen. So, you know, these leagues can plan and they have to plan and they have to consider every scenario that they can reopen and resume their seasons or start new ones. Uh, but ultimately, they're not in the driver's seat of whether or not this is going to happen and, and when it will. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, moving on. Uh, so in your opinion, you know, you've been on the beat for you know, all, more than a decade. I think you said 13 years. Uh, in your opinion, what has been the biggest story that you've written? Oh, my goodness. That's a, that's a huge curveball. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would pick one particularly. Like maybe last year I wrote a, what we call a, a big read at Sportsnet where I did an oral history on how Carey Price was drafted. I thought that was, uh, that was a lot of fun to do and, and, you know, was able to tell a story that nobody had really heard before speaking to people like Bob Ganey and Brian Burke and a long list of NHL executives to tell the story of how the Canadians were going to draft Benoit Pouillard and ended up with Carey Price. Um, 
that was fun. Uh, telling the story of how the Canadians drafted Caden Primo was a, was a really fun story a few years ago. Um, a story that nobody really understood why he ended up as a seventh round pick. Uh, and I got to the bottom of that and put that out. I did a story with Andrew Shaw where, you know, he admitted that he had openly lied to doctors uh, in order to return early from concussions. So that was, uh, that was a big story. Um, I did the PK Subban exclusive interview back when he was traded uh, on national television. That was, that was a big thing in my career for sure. Um, was the first reporter to speak to him after he was traded to Nashville. Uh, that was, that was big. Uh, there's been a, there's been a lot of stories over the years that have been a lot of fun to do and um, I'm very proud of them. And, you know, every year there's, there's always a few, it's, it's really hard to pin it down to one or the other. Um, my hope is to do a good story every time I do one. And, and I think, you know, maybe when my career is over, I'll look back and try to find a, a top 10 that I could put together. Honestly, some of the, some of the most fun stories I ever covered were, were doing Rogers cup tennis uh, over the last couple of years. I got to run, I got to do Shapovalov's uh, run at the Rogers cup. And I want to say it was 2017 now uh, his first run. And we made it all the, all the way through uh, almost to the finals. And that was, that was remarkable to cover. So there's been so much fun stuff done uh, at Sportsnet over the last five years. And I, I can't wait to do more of it. Speaking of young Canadian stars, did you ever uh, write a piece about Bianca Andreescu? No, I haven't covered Bianca. Um, the women were in Toronto last year when she won, so um, haven't gotten a chance to do that yet. Would have done it probably this summer. Uh, unfortunately, the Rogers Cup has been canceled. Yeah. So one day, uh, I'm a huge tennis fan. I'm like I know tennis inside out, and I, I love covering the sport. And hopefully, I'll do more of that. Maybe do some golf too. And uh, hockey will, will hopefully remain uh, as the mainstay. So how do you know when a story is ready to, ready to be published? Do you send it to multiple editors before you publish it? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I send it to one editor. We basically have someone, we have a couple different people in rotation working at the web desk at Sportsnet. They do a great job. Um, as far as editing is concerned, they might pull out a word here or there or uh, fix a comma that's out of place or um, just slap a headline on, on your, your piece. You know, I always send stuff in with a suggested headline, but they have their guidelines for their headlines. They're in charge of that. Um, but it's just to give them an idea of what the piece is about. And they can take it from there if they think it's, if it's the best one in terms of attracting viewership or whatever it is, or, or most accurately portraying what the story is about, they'll use it. If not, they'll change it. Um, and as far as, you know, sending stuff in usually you know post game and post practice i have soft deadlines it's not it's not the type of hard deadline that you would have had in a newspaper where you, you have to send something in at the minute the you know the buzzer sounds at the end of a game and then write through uh the rest with with quotes and everything like that and get it in before you know 11 o'clock or whatever it is I, my, my my deadline basically self-imposed for sportsnet is uh, on, on game nights to get something in before midnight. I often get it in before, you know, 11, 15, 11, 20, 11, 30. Um, but when I have to take as much time as I possibly can to tell the right story or because the game has gone on slower than it normally does and because the post-game press conference and stuff like that have bled longer than they usually have, um, you know, that's kind of crunch time. 
and it's it's fun it's fun being in crunch time i kind of thrive under those circumstances i i tend to do good work when i'm up against the deadline and there's a lot of times where you know well i don't people people probably don't understand this but like when the game is actually happening and, and when it's going on i don't really write anything it's very rare that i have anything written down before i've gone down and spoken to the players and I have chosen in my mind an angle that I'd like to pursue, but that angle is flexible. It's gotta, it's gotta be flexible because if something gets said in the room uh, that 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 requires more of my attention than what I was thinking of writing about, then I'll switch, I'll switch to that. Um, but there's times where the media availability isn't done before you know 10:55 at night, and I'm filing something an hour later without having a word written and without having any quotes transcribed. So. That's a, that's a part of the job. It's an adrenaline rush and it's a lot of fun and it's never really bothered me. It's never stressed me out. It's, that's always kind of been where I do my best work. All right. Well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, well, so my final question for you would be, um, what would be the best thing if you're, you know, it's hard to choose one thing, but what would be the best thing and the, I guess the challenges that you may face as a reporter? You know, my favorite part of this job is I'm a, like, I don't really like this saying. I'm a people person. It's kind of a wishy-washy saying. I, I really do enjoy meeting different people. I really do enjoy building relationships and being able to tell a story that nobody's ever heard before. That's, you know, that to me is the pinnacle of being a reporter. It's when you get to tell a story that nobody has heard and that you know that it's a good one and you know it's something that people are going to read and be like, wow, I, I never would have thought this about this person. Um, that's the kind of fun, rewarding stuff. And just the people you meet, you know, I think I'm very fortunate as a sports reporter to be covering hockey as a main beat. Hockey players, by and large, are, are great people. And we're seeing a lot of it in terms of the way they're, they're dedicating themselves right now to helping frontline workers or people in need. Um, but at the, at the core of it, they're approachable people that largely come from blue-collar families that are relatable. Um, and, you know, for people that say that they're boring or this and that, uh, I, I, I couldn't disagree more. And yes, a lot of, a lot of what they're instructed to say or a lot of what they, they want to say in order to be a good teammate might be vanilla. But if you really develop the relationships well, which takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and, and a lot of letting them get to know about you too, um, despite the, the constraints on, on your ability to do that, because, you know, it's not like... I get to go hang out with them afterwards and really, you know, talk for hours about who we are individually and how they can get to know me better. It's, I really have to take advantage of the time I have with them in that locker room. Uh, and, and inevitably if the relationships are good enough and, and text messages and stuff like that. Um, but the more they know about you and the more you know about them, the better that relationship is and the better you're able to, to start tapping into telling their truth, um, so to speak. So, I think that's just the most fun part of the job. It's, I understand people look at it and say, it's, you know, it's a glamorous job. You get to be around professional athletes and you get to cover a game for a living. It's, it's all those things. And I, I love it. Um, but what I truly love is the feeling of like getting better at what I'm doing and, and uh, being able to tell someone's story in a way that not only that the fans will look at it and be like, wow, you know, I, I didn't know this, but the, you know, the people themselves, the subjects themselves will look at it and be like, yeah, you know, that's a little critical, but it's fair. And you know what? I, I think he's really telling the truth about what I'm doing out there and who I am. And that, 
that to me is uh, there's no better feeling than that. So it's it's been a blast so far, and I hope to continue doing it for as long as possible. And and I hope that everybody out there, just like myself, is safe and healthy and moving forward. We can all appreciate what we have, and I certainly do. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Eric Angles, who is a Montreal Canadiens beat reporter, for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure, Mike.